You want to start us off? Hi guys, it's Michelle, Bridget, and Seamus. <laughs> Welcome back to the staff <laughs> podcast at Miracle Canine Training. Yes. Um, today, Bridget had a very good topic for us to discuss, and that is how to find good fits as far as like additional like specialized care for your dog, whether that's um, dog walkers, house sitters, vets, um, those types of things. What's um, kind of look into when we try to pick one out. Right? Yes, how to pick a, the right pet care professional for your dog's needs, essentially. What a great way to sum it up. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was trying to say. <laughs> so, um, where do you guys want to start with? Dog sitter, you want to start with more, or do you want to? So, my own personal experience, I don't have any experience as far as like dog sitters and walkers. Mm -hmm. I know you use those mm -hmm. um, like avenues quite a bit. Yes. So have you, do you have much experience with that type of area either? Um, no, not okay. like professional. Okay. Well then Bridget, why don't you start mm -hmm. us out with like the sitters, walkers type thing mm -hmm. and what you look for, don't look for, red flags, that kind of thing. Yeah, um, so I've just been through the pet care process of finding a good pet sitter or dog walker to do some midday runs with my dogs. Um, and finding the right person has been complicated. So I've had a lot of clients recently ask me about pet care and what I use. Um, it took me quite a while to find a good fit for my dogs. So something that's really popular is like Rover or WAG. And in my experience, not only working for Rover and WAG, but also having some people watch my dogs, I cannot say I recommend either of those sites. Um, it attracts a lot of, not that they're bad, but personally I wouldn't use them. Um, I think it attracts a lot of younger people in college that necessarily don't have the experience. It's like to, a side hustle. Yeah. <laughs> to and they just like dogs, so they want to just yes. be with dogs, right? I don't know where their experience is coming from. <laughs> Um, if they have really good reviews, I guess that I would consider that, but um, I've recently had some trial and error with finding a pet sitter that can fit my needs with my multiple dogs, and I've looked for things like the competency. Um, I always do a meet and greet beforehand, so the pet sitter can meet the pack and understand our routines a little bit, um, but that goes to say, kind of move into what I had a client be like, well, what if the pet sitter allows my dog to jump? What if the pet sitter doesn't have the dog sit? Um, and I always say, find a pet care professional that's willing and able to go over your rules with the dog, mm -hmm. but also don't get too hung up on the dog that has to be perfect for the pet sitter. Because if I can still get my dog to listen to me, um, then I don't care if the dog does a little bit of jumping when the pet sitter comes in. I don't know if their timing will be right with that. I can instruct on how to correct if I really care about it, but the bottom principle is my dogs won't do that to me. Huh? Sure. Is that something that you would maybe practice with, like when you do have that meet and greet, that you would suggest mm -hmm. showing them how to properly do that and everything? Yes. Yeah. If your method of training your dogs is corrective, like with an e-collar tool, you can ask if the pet service had any experience with using an e-collar, if they're comfortable using it, you can go over your just key points with this is what I would correct for if they start jumping, barking at you. Um, obviously for aggression cases, we want to handle that much differently um, and find somebody that's really experienced and competent working with dogs that might not be so friendly all the time. Um, I know and that I recently, might even be, not to interrupt you, no, go ahead. but that might even be like, 
I know personally, like, with my own dog who mm -hmm. has aggression issues, that might even just be, like, a limitation where it's, like, that might just not be a service that you yes. can use. Yeah, yeah. You know, to a certain degree. Yeah, for, for a certain type of dog, perhaps boarding at a training facility is the best option. Um, but for, like, your friendlier dog, I think, like, in-home mm -hmm. could be a really good choice. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. With So it sounds like the first step kind of is getting on the same page as far as, like, training methods. Yes. You yeah. know, and what you want them to be responsible for mm -hmm. correcting and then being comfortable doing that. Mm -hmm. If Have you encountered, like, that discussion with the pet sitter and them being like, I'm just not comfortable with those training techniques and it's yes. just not working out then? Or, yeah. yeah, yeah. So particularly with Star, my dog will eat and ingest toys. And I will try my hardest to put all the toys up before the pet sitter comes. But recently, I think we had an incident where I was saying, please remove all toys. He got into a toy and started to eat it. And then I said, let's have a kind of a session here where I show you the e-collar. And they instantly were like, I'm not comfortable with using the e-collar. It's like, okay, well, I need somebody that is because this is a problem that if he ingests a toy, he could be, get very sick. Sure. So finding somebody that's kind of willing and able to sit down with you um, and utilize what you're asking them to. And that's where it gets really important to what we were kind of talking about before with advocating for your dog, right? Mm -hmm. It's just like, you know your dog more than anything, so when you're seeking that professional help, if they are unable to meet your dog's needs or your needs yeah. for your dog's safety, then yeah, then to, to look somewhere else, right? Mm -hmm. It's not to feel stuck or anything. And, and if you are, I, again, I have no like professional um, experience with or experience with professional dog sitters or walkers or anything like that. But you know, going into it is if you know you're going to need that mm -hmm. to plan ahead. You know, kind of what we were talking about earlier when we were talking about having puppies and stuff. You know, that's another important thing too. You know, don't wait till the day before you leave for a vacation to try to find someone to yeah. pet sit your dog. You know what I mean? Yeah. Go start looking and doing this trial and error and stuff yeah. beforehand because more times than not, the first person you come across might not always be mm -hmm. the best person. Right? And you don't yeah. want to have to just rely on that and just be like, oh, well, okay, good luck. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do your research. <clears throat> go. Do, I always suggest you have to do a meeting great. Like, I don't have, want anyone to come into my house without meeting the dogs and seeing our routine a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and that's usually a service that some, most places offer for free, actually. That's um, good. So then, so you said the those two kind of places or those two, like, websites or apps or whatever you want to suggest of what, where have you find that does work? Have, do you know someone that is a little bit more professional or a website to kind of look at to do some more research on or... Have yeah. you done anything in that term? I look at reviews because reviews and testimonies from actual clients are the most important indicator of a service. Um, and the reviews should be quite plentiful. Like, you, they should have a lot of review, reviews. I'm not going to utilize a service that the person has, like, four reviews because I need a little bit more research and things that they did right. Um, I look for a highly rated place. Like, I usually will go with a private pet sitter or a company, which can be a Google search away. Um, in your area, there's probably thousands of them. Just look, do your research, meet with the person, and see how the, like, the vibe is. Mm -hmm. 
So going with like more of like a company, like an established company mm-hmm. who has like a better vetting system with all of yes. their employees versus like an Uber Eats for dog walking. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and okay. I looked for a company um, recently that was CPR certified first aid just because I'm a little bit of a worry work when yeah. it comes to my dogs. And I want somebody that is in the position to be able to do the best they can with them if any emergencies were to happen. It's okay to question, like, what would you do if this happened? What would you do if that happened? And the person should be really open to answering those. If they get defensive or kind of cocky about it, you can see that as a red flag a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah. That's, that's a good one. <laughs> that makes sense. Um, what are there some boarding? So, like, going into, like, boarding, I'd say, could yeah. be a good thing. I know that it always astounds me how many phone calls we get here of random people being like, do you board dogs? I'm going mm-hmm. on a trip next week. Can I board my dog? Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, wow. That mm-hmm. I mean, unless it's, like, a very last-minute trip that they can't have any control over. Like, right. that's one thing. Mm-hmm. But it, it's very, like, astounding to me how people will just, like, Put their dogs anywhere yeah just like fingers crossed that it'll I be know. fine yeah. <laughs> i know uh, i've had a, a lot of clients recently they're like yeah we just board them anywhere and like should we not do that i'm like yeah we need to have a little bit more research going into that yeah mm-hmm. yeah that can be scary um so like for boarding stuff i think for me red flags would be like open daycare boarding yes that yeah. or like cageless boarding, penniless mm-hmm. yeah. boarding, that stuff is very alarming to me. Um, obviously, if you can board somewhere that you've done training, I think that's the first choice. Yeah. You know, because I mm-hmm. think whether it's like a company like we do here, or even if you go with like an individual trainer, some of them will offer like boarding services at their home, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, with their own dogs and stuff like that in between. But I think that those are all good things to look for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, to what would you look for if you were didn't work here healthcare that could be a yeah. red flag because they don't require yeah. <laughs> yeah. up to date vaccinations fecal tests things like that um, if they don't require some kind of like consultation or assessment before yeah. you board your dog just like yeah come on in yeah that he's killed be... six people no problem <laughs> <laughs> yeah structure I think st- just structure in general yeah. would be important for me to know you know i mean even when people come here for the board of trains and stuff you know they always they they ask those appropriate questions you know Mm -hmm. you know how much time are they going to have out what are they going to do what's their day-to-day what you know but i would go even into you know what does feeding look like Mm -hmm. you know how how much interaction and stuff like that you know um as well as and this one might be a little bit harder to kind of gauge and ask but like experience wise of the you know because I feel like a lot of like daycares around the area are again some of the kennel techs and stuff like that are much younger and inexperienced and so in the situation of you know if your dog has fear aggression or reaction reactivity resource guarding whether it's the food in their crate and stuff Mm -hmm. like are they capable of handling that yeah. handling that situation? You know. Oh yeah. I don't want to be on my vacation halfway through my vacation, yeah. out of state or out of the country, and get a call like, "Hey, we, you know, we can't handle your dog yeah. now, and you have to come." Ah! Pick them up, you know. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I think part of that too is just a lot of the success. I think that kind of loops all these things together. Is 
knowing your dog and what their issues might be, what their weaknesses are, their strengths are, and their limitations and things like that. And then trying to be like plan ahead as much as possible. Because mm -hmm. like if you have a dog that has these issues that you're aware of, expect that they're not going to be able to just board at a regular boarding right. facility. Yeah. You know, like there's, I'd say that majority of the clients that we have that board their dogs here probably wouldn't be successful boarding anywhere else. No. <laughs> yeah. Like that, that's just kind of the reality of it. Mm -hmm. And with that, expecting that when you get into getting a dog, that all of this stuff costs money. Yeah. Like the boarding services, if you have a more difficult dog, are going to be more expensive. Mm -hmm. yes. You know, I mean, it's it's pricey to board your dog in a facility that is getting them out for training every day and socializing every day and walks every day and doing all the things that your dog needs and upholding all the structure and things like that. So you certainly could go board somewhere else and it would be cheaper, but... What are you paying for? Exactly. What are you paying for then at that point? There's so. like one of my clients was recently boarding somewhere else and they bought a specific package that they didn't want the dog to be around other dogs, so they had somebody going in and playing with the dog twice a day, and they paid specifically for that time, and they watched on camera, and their dog sat in their kennel for eight hours, and there was no playtime, and they had still charged them for playtime, and even written, like, a report card that the dog was playing, so it was a complete and utter lie. And they oh, my were, gosh. They were horrified. That, it was cameras, too? They still did that with camera. Mm -hmm. They get bold, some of these places. That is yes. bold. Yeah. That's very bold. Um, I think yeah. another thing is, um, you know, being honest with yourself and, like, with the place you're boarding to. Yes. You know, mm -hmm. if, if you know your dog has issues or something, again, you should be planning this ahead of time and not just masking things or just, just so they can get it, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right? Like... Because you are reliable to some point as well, you know, if, if I, something happens. So well, I used to, to a, a place that I used to work, we just did, like, open boarding, mm -hmm. and a dog came in and, for boarding and stuff, and um, it was a German Shepherd. <clears throat> and I think that the dog had come to the facility a couple times before and never had any issues, whatever. And then I take the dog, the owner leaves, and as soon as I, like, put tension on the leash to take it into the back, whipped around and just attacked me. Yeah got bit like multiple mm -hmm. times all over everything. And then you call and ask and they're like, oh yeah, well there was an incident Yeah, like, they're like, oh well sometimes. Yeah. And it's like, right. thanks. Yeah. <laughs> now, thanks. <laughs> that would have been nice to know. Um, yeah, so part of it is being responsible, but then also like as a facility putting safeguards in place, yeah. mm -hmm. you know what I mean? To make sure that the dogs you're taking in are, yeah. um, you know, you are familiar with them to a certain degree. Yeah. And somebody that knows your dog too um, and like you said you have to know your own dog so personally people ask well what do you do with your dog since you have a lot and I will always separate them because I know Sunday and Star will not do well within home mm -hmm. Sunday's behavior needs to be very well managed and they know that we can't get that level of care with any in-home pet sitter I just she'd, she'd be getting it in, into everything and they don't necessarily know the signs to look out for. Yeah. She knows how to take advantage of certain she situations. She certainly does and yeah. she will. It doesn't yeah. mean that she's not trained or that I haven't done my due diligence in directing that behavior. I just live a lifestyle that is a little bit more experienced than an average person has. Right. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> yeah. And I think part of, so let's move to do the vet care. Yeah. 
feel like yeah, that's finding a good fit. Yeah, this one's a whole that's, other thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, especially depending on what kind of dog you have. I would say the like blanket overall, at least in my opinion, I, it is so important for me to feel like I have a good relationship with my vet where I can ask them questions, feel informed, and not feel like they're talking down to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's sad, but I feel like that happens a lot. Mm-hmm. In my experience, I feel like anytime I question my vet or I have questions, um, not the vet I go to currently because I found a great one eventually, but um, a lot of them previously have felt like I was met with just like generalized answers, not really the information I was wanting to get. Like I take my dog's health very seriously and I try to make the best informed decisions for them as possible and I want to weigh all the options, you know, the pros and cons of doing what they tell me I should do. And I've been this way my whole life. I want to know why. (laughs) Why do you want me to do that? You know, like why is that a good idea? Um, So for me, it's of good value that I look for in a vet is a vet that is willing to take the time to answer those questions for me yeah. and not feel like I'm wasting their time or let's just hurry this along or, you know, things like that. So again, that kind of goes back to what you are saying is like that could, that's, could be seen as a red flag. You know, if mm-hmm. they're not willing to go in depth and answer the questions that you're, you're trying to ask them, yeah. then it's like, do you not know the answer? Are you, is yeah. it like, what, why are you not giving me a thorough answer? Right? Exactly. It's like, I understand that I didn't go through all of the schooling that you did, yes. and scientifically I'm not at the same level. I get that, but there's still ways to explain out. things. Yes. Yeah, yeah, you know. Dumb it down if you need to. I don't exactly. care. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's like, because I, I, po- I know it's possible to right. tell someone information without making them feel stupid, because I do it every day. <laughs> <Yes>. Okay? <laughs> exactly. Um, so... That, I think, is important for me. Um, it's also important for me that I don't feel like I have to hide how I train my dogs no. when right. I go to the vet. That's a that's a big one. Yes. I, I yeah. run into with that with clients all the time, you know, mm-hmm. having their dog go in and they they get yelled at for, you know, the obviously you the e-collar and, and stuff, so yeah. Yes. But, it's like a super wrong. Yeah, controversial opinion is that your vet should not give you training advice. That is not their area. And... If they do, look for a new vet. Because mm-hmm. that's just insane to me. You have you shouldn't yeah. have an opinion on how I train my dog. Mm-hmm. If my dog is healthy, um, or even if they're not healthy and they're look, looking at an underlying issue and I need to muzzle my dog or take a little bit of preventative care, I don't need you weighing in on what I know is best for my dog. It's completely mm-hmm. unrelated. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I am all for vets recommending training to people Mm -hmm. and saying here's options you know whatever you think fits you best whether you want to do force free whether you want to do balance Mm -hmm. I think vets should have all of the options available to people yeah Um, and I don't think it's their place to con to to judge you one way or the other Mm -hmm. whether you decide to do yeah Um, most of the time it's vet techs that give me the most attitude Mm -hmm. about things which I think is funny (laughs) but um, but yeah some vets are not very supportive when it comes to training techniques and then that just kind of makes the whole relationship awkward Mm -hmm. because it's like obviously like you are looking at me differently because of how I train my dog which then puts me in a defensive place because Mm -hmm. then I feel like you're judging me Mm -hmm. for like not taking care of my dog or abusing my dog because I use certain training tools and then you know it's just it just makes the vibes very weird so 
I've always wanted a vet that... When the only um, reason you're training your dog in that situation is because you know that they have those issues. And yeah. you're just trying... You're trying to help the vet out... Exactly. By getting your dog under like control. Like, everything I'm trying to do is to make your job easier. <laughs> right. Truthfully. Yeah. I'm just trying to keep you safe and make your job easier. Yeah. And at the very least, I would, I would love to have a vet who approves and actually supports of my training techniques. But baseline just don't say anything about yeah. it right. don't even talk about it and that's yeah. fine yeah you know one way or the other just don't have an opinion on it because um, there's some vets that have behavioral training as far as like how to interact with dogs mm -hmm. and basic stuff like that and some are more experienced than others and then there's some that truly just have no idea i had a client that said their vet came in the room and barked at their dog <laughs> and now their dog is terrified to go to the vet anymore. yeah i'm like well i wonder why <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like, there's just some things. Or that vet that's on TikTok, have you seen his videos? Where he just gets in the face. He gets in their faces yeah. and then takes all their muzzles off and just lays on the floor with them. I'm like, this guy's going to get, like, disfigured one day yeah. because he's being an idiot. But, yeah. So, for me, those are some big, important mm -hmm. ones. Um, and that they respect, like how I prefer that they interact with my dog. Yeah. I'm not saying that I'm trying to, like, dictate how they have to give medical care and things like mm -hmm. that. I'm, I'm not doing that. Like, if the dog needs to be held or restrained or whatever, that's totally fine. I'm talking about, like, just general interaction stuff. Yeah. Like, mm -hmm. coming in the room and be like, Hi, baby, how are you? Exactly. Like, screaming in their face, and they're like, Oh, God. Yeah, yeah. Like, because I have a dog, like, Lumos, for instance. Mm -hmm. Like, when he... I just had to take him to the vet a couple days ago, and I had to go to this one vet that I don't particularly like, but I needed to get x-rays and I didn't have any other options at the time. So I go in, he has his muzzle on because I muzzle him every time he goes to the vet, no matter what. And he is fine with vet care if, as long as they keep it business. Yeah. As long as it's just business. We're not trying to be friends. We're not trying to snuggle and pet you. We're not doing any of that. And so anytime I take him in, I usually give the spiel to anybody new where I'm like, He's not fear aggressive because they tend to assume that he's fear aggressive when they see the muzzle, which is fair because most dogs are. But I'm like, he's not fear aggressive. He's very assertive. So if you get in his face, if you crouch down, if you baby talk him, if you do all these soft body language behaviors, that is going to be more likely to set him off negatively than if you just stand there, ignore him, don't pay too much attention to him, keep a business, do what you need to do. And immediately after I give this whole spiel, she crouches down, puts her face six inches from his face, his muzzled face, and she's like, eh, baby, baby. and then it was like, <clears throat> that's the, the tipping point where now I have to actually follow through and advocate for my dog mm -hmm. yep. in the way that I was trying to mm -hmm. by putting an end to it, right. you know? So I stepped in between them and I said, please don't do that. Mm -hmm. Said I just described to you that that behavior is not going to be productive in mm -hmm. any shape or form. Um, <laughs> it's not going to be good for him. Um, so I think that it's, it's important that your advocation for your dog doesn't stop mm -hmm. once you step inside the vet office. Yeah. Because yeah. I think a lot of people have been made to feel, again, kind of talked down to yeah. by their vets in certain situations, or we tend to go in thinking like, it's a very vulnerable place, right. I think. Yeah, because, a lot of emotion. Yeah, a lot of emotion when you're there with your vet, as well as with your dog, especially if it's not a routine visit. It's usually because you think something's wrong, and most of the time we have no idea what it is because our dogs can't talk to us. Mm -hmm, right. You know, So we're already in like in a vulnerable emotional state, 
And then if the vet has any type of negativity to say about training methods or how you're raising your dog or anything like that, then you're also in a weird position. So it's hard for us to, to stick up for ourselves and mm -hmm. I think advocate yeah. to a certain degree because um, we just feel awkward about it. Mm -hmm. um, and you feel like you're being rude. Yeah. Um, but don't feel like you're being to, rude. Like, you have to yell at them no. if they do it. But no. yeah, be professional about it as well. Yeah. You know, but still advocate for your dog. Yeah, and be firm about it. It's like, I know what's going to work for my dog, and I know it isn't, mm -hmm. and you blatantly ignored me, and so I'm going to tell you again, please don't do that. <laughs> I asked you not to do that. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so I think that it's important to still stand firm in whatever our standards are when we go to the vet, too. Yeah, and also, like, doing your research on... I'm not saying no medication, like anxiety medications, but starting to be really cognizant of the why behind the medication. Why do you want my dog medicated when it comes to the vet? Yeah. What's the dosage? What's the result you're looking for? Mm -hmm. I have a client particular. How long do they need to be on it? Yeah, yeah. What side effects should I look for that it's having a, a worse effect than a better exactly. effect? Exactly, because like a lot that. of them can cause more anxiety because I feel like the dog knows that there's something off. And then they almost feel like mm -hmm. they have to be more defensive, yeah. which is one of the cases in one of my clients had a horrible vet experience recently. Um, the vet in instructed her to just drug this dog. And then when that didn't work, the vet was very frustrated and said the dog needed to go to a behavioral clinic and get clinically seen and put on antidepressant from one vet visit. Which is kind of insane to me. Yeah, um, it is insane. And if the medication had worked and the dog had a much easier time at the vet, sure, like that's great. But it clearly didn't. Mm -hmm. So Lumos is like that. I mean, they've they um, had he's had to be on sedatives before for surgeries and mm -hmm. things like that. And he is one thousand times more aggressive yeah. when he's on a sedative because mm -hmm. he feels like inhibited you know what I mean yeah. and kind of weird I'm sure in yeah. a way and so his defenses are up yeah his defenses are up even more yeah um yeah a lot of vets are very quick to medicate a dog yeah I don't want that to be a long-term solution that every time we come in for a nail trim or for something that my dog has to be either completely sedated or on a shit ton of medication that last for two or three days after that. Mm -hmm. So instead of the process being like maybe 30 minutes of maybe a little uncomfortability, they're now dealing with, I associate this horrible, awful feeling with this place, and then for two or three days I need to recover from that. Yeah. And, I mean, granted, one thing I will say is that vets are used to dealing with a majority of owners who don't give a shit about trying to make yeah. the experience better. Yeah. <laughs> So I get that. Mm -hmm. I get that they're like, this dog comes in every time, is super out of control, aggressive, yeah. and they want us to trim its nails. Yeah. And they think that we should just be able to do that. You yeah. know? Like, I get that. I get that there are a lot of owners that don't take responsibility for their dog's behavior mm -hmm. and try to make it better. Um, so I think sometimes it can become like a cycle where it's like the vet is like, oh, I, they're jaded. And they're like, I'm not even going to mention training. I'm not even going to mention it because they're not. They're probably not going to do anything about it anyways. Mm -hmm. You know, and then maybe the owner has no idea their vet is their dog is struggling this bad because nobody's mm -hmm. mentioned it. So I think just more honesty and transparency on like both sides mm -hmm. could be super helpful for everybody. Yeah. I know with Cash, my doodle, 
Um, obviously he grows to a groomer very regularly and I've been lucky to find one that I really love that he's been going to since he was like two or three mm -hmm. and he's 10 now. And every time, you know, I'm always asking her like, how did he do? Did he give you any weird trouble over anything? Is there anything I can work on at home that makes it easier for you? And I remember the first time I asked her, she was like shocked. She was like, people never ask that. Yeah. They just send the dog to the groomer and just expect that it's going to get done, yep. you know, and they, they don't want to advocate or try to like work on things at home as well. And so one of the things she told me was like, oh, his front feet. He doesn't like his front feet being combed out or mm -hmm. shaved or whatever. So I've really taken a lot of time to really work on that with him outside of it and everything. And there's even times where she's like, he's bad with getting his nails done with me. And I'm like, oh, well, he's fine with me doing it. So don't even worry about it. Yeah. I'll just do it at home, you yeah. know, stuff like that. So I think that trying to have that open dialogue, because mm -hmm. with my vet now with Lumos, um, it's a very open dialogue where I talk to her about what his personality is like, what works, what doesn't, and then she does what she needs to do and she kind of reports back of like, oh, he was great with this, this was a little weird, you know, that kind of stuff. So I think the honesty part of it and finding somebody that you feel like you can be on the same team <laughs> and like come yeah. up with a plan is like really good. Yeah, you want somebody that's invested in helping your dog and not just like dealing with them for 30 minutes and bye. Yeah. Um, so it might take a little bit of practice if your vet said, oh, this dog's really nervous. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, uh, you were mentioning to a client the other day, those happy visits. Yeah. Sometimes those can be really effective. Yeah, they really can because it changes their perception of going to the vet because mm -hmm. not something, something terrible doesn't happen every single time. Yeah, you that know? is really good. It's tough because I know in recent time, it's like with COVID and stuff, yeah. a lot of vets are still doing curbside yeah. things, mm -hmm. so that could be a little more difficult, but if your vet has the ability for you to mm -hmm. schedule time to come in and just hang out and mm -hmm. do nothing, that's probably a good idea to do every once yeah. in a while. Yeah. I think going into like one of our next topics is muzzle training your dog for the vet or the groomer. Mm -hmm. We can yeah. often think that it's the vet or the groomer's job to muzzle our dog, but yeah. it's ours. That responsibility is on us. Uh, if we know that our dog can get snippy or even if we learn that they can get snippy, it's really important to muzzle train them and get them comfortable with the muzzle being on and not scratching at it. Yeah. Um, and the way that we can do that is creating a positive association, which you just did with Snoop. So how did you go about that process? So I really liked using free shaping to do muzzle conditioning. I did that with both Lumos and now with Snoop. And the key to being able to actually take your time and do free shaping with any type of training, but especially handling drills, is that you don't have like a, a press for like time where it's like, oh, it has to be done by this vet visit, mm -hmm. you know? So I always, always, always recommend to all of my clients that always muzzle train your dog before you need it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Start muzzle training them before they need it so that if you ever need it, because it could be they get injured and they're snappy because they're in pain and mm -hmm. you need to put a muzzle on them. That's one last stress for them because yeah. they're familiar with it already. It could be your dog just ends up getting older and is uncomfortable going to the vet because they have arthritis or whatever. And maybe mm -hmm. they used to be super friendly, but now they need to have a muzzle on. So I just think it's a really important skill set similar to just crate training your dog, you know, those are important things to do yeah. um, that I think is good in preparation. But 
with the free shaping and stuff, basically it's like playing a game of like hot and cold with a dog. <laughs> so there's no um, corrections involved whatsoever. Um, it works really well for dogs that are super food motivated and are willing to just problem solve and do whatever they can to figure out how to get the food. So I've been doing free shaping exercises with Snoop since he was the day I got him. So he's very familiar with when I have food and we're doing a training session and I have something that he's like, I immediately need to start trying things to figure out yeah. what it is I need to do to get the food. Mm -hmm. yeah. So it was really funny to me and I wish I would have had it on video, but he did it before I started recording. He's never seen a muzzle a day in his life. And I got this cute little tiny <laughs> chihuahua muzzle and I held out the muzzle and he immediately looked at it and then just shoved his face in. <laughs> and I'm not lying, like that was the first time he'd ever seen it. Yeah. And I think it was just because he was like, okay, this is the game, right. you know, do something with that. And so um, then I have the food and you use a marker. So I use a terminal marker, yes, for stuff like that because when I say yes, that means he can disengage from whatever he's doing and get the reward. Mm -hmm. So I have muzzle, and typically what I would do is reward any interaction with the muzzle initially. So the reason it's called free shaping is because you're basically gradually shaping towards the, the end behavior you're looking for. So the muzzle's there, he interacts with it, I say yes, he gets a reward. And that encourages him like, okay, I'm going in the right direction. Yeah. So then they keep pushing and pushing and pushing. We're at this step now, and I've been documenting this with videos like on my Instagram and stuff, but we're at this step now where he puts his head in and we're working longer duration. So he will put his head in and he will stay there until he hears the word yes. Mm -hmm. um, and now he will do it and allow me to bring the strap around and start to like snap it here and then release it and then tell him yes and reward. And you basically just keep building it that way. And because um, the way the free shaping works to expand the behavior, or I should say narrow the behavior more accurately, is that once you've encouraged the dog enough that the behavior that they're doing is good, you start to reward um, for those little wins less. Mm -hmm. So it's like if I want him staying in the muzzle longer, as soon as he puts his nose in, where in the beginning I would reward that immediately, I would wait a couple seconds. And in the videos you can see Snoop will like put his nose in and then he immediately pulls it back out, realizes he didn't get anything and he goes, wait. And then he puts yeah. his head back in. Those wheels and are then, turning. Yeah, it's exactly. Like, okay. And then I wait like a second longer, <laughs> yes, reward. And he's like, okay, so I just stay in there longer, you know, and then mm -hmm. he just keeps doing it. Yep. And that's kind of how I built it with them. So again, that works the best when the dog is pretty food motivated. And I think David just talked about this in one of his podcasts, but pretty much any dog should be food motivated. Yeah. If your dog isn't food motivated, especially in like a comfort place of your home where there's not a lot of distractions, mm -hmm. there's not a lot of stressors going on, your dog is probably just overfed. <laughs> yeah, that's um, yeah, they're probably just overfed. Yeah. So if your dog is lacking food motivation, then um, maybe use like restrict a meal or two and then use Get their food hungry. with the muzzle and do stuff like that because they need to be hungry to be yeah. able to do it. And you can use high value treats, of course, but you could. I don't want to depend solely on having to have a high value treat every time and just train mm -hmm. for kibble. Yeah. Um, that's pretty interesting to see a dog that has good food drive like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, he, he loves that stuff. 
gets expensive when you have to always use those high rewards. You know? Yeah, exactly. And it causes belly issues sometimes. It, it does. does. It does. <laughs> That's so funny. I've had a lot of clients that come from like doing force-free training start and they're like, my dog was vomiting and shitting all day yeah. after a training like, session. <laughs> I only gave him about 57 hot dogs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh-huh. man. Um, but yes, so that's a good piece of it is taking those steps to already be mm-hmm. um, setting your dog up for success with the muzzle and things like that if they yes. if they ever need it. Being proactive and not just putting that on our vet and then being surprised why our dog is not in, only in a new location but they're having <clears throat> restriction on their mouth. That's mm-hmm. pretty much their only defense mechanism and then wondering why they're freaking out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So if you can take the time to condition it positively and make a good association with it and then after that, get them comfortable and confident wearing it, you're going to be 10 times more successful at the vet than yes. if it just, just gets popped on and there's a lot of restraint. Mm-hmm. And That'll I think be. it's good too. I didn't mean to interrupt you. That's okay. But I was That's just okay. going to say, um, I there are certain situations where like, unfortunately, I think we've all encountered this, where like, mm. I can't condition the muzzle positively. Yeah. Because like, now we just can't. Yeah. You know, it's it's a necessity at this point. I don't have the time to, to go through those steps to make it easier and more enjoyable for the dog. So if we if you are looking to do training and you know your dog has the propensity to have aggression issues, then start doing that before you show up for your training. Yeah. And if you're not sure how, call. You know, say, like, do you guys have videos? Is there any resources I can do for muzzle training beforehand to be able to make it more pleasant? Because if your dog gets to the session and is actively trying to bite, then we're either going to have to stress them out by putting the muzzle on or we're not going to be able to handle that dog that first session, which is going to inhibit the training either way. So, My, I guess my last question before wrapping this up, it would be, like, so... You're talking about how to desensitize them to the muzzle. Now mm-hmm. I get a lot of questions on once the muzzle's on and they're tearing at it and all that stuff. Sure. What's your kind of duration or how do you, how would you suggest for a client to kind of work through that? Sure. I think that if you go about it the free shaping way that I have, mm-hmm. the steps that I take, I've never had a dog that really fussed with it much. Because it creates such mm-hmm. a positive Yeah, they're like, I wear this, I get... Yeah. I focus, I get food, you know, I do like short movements, short durations, things like that. Mm-hmm. I think there's times where like Lumos maybe batted at it like a couple times when it was on. And then once I told him like, like, no, he was just like, oh, okay, whatever. And he just stopped. Yeah. So I think if you go that route, you probably won't see anything super extensive. I think the worst thing you could do is overreact and be like, you know, and like mm-hmm. go crazy. Um, because then that feeds into the dog's stress in that moment. Yeah. Um, what would you say, Bridget? I think taking the time to positively condition it or free shape it is really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, but let's say you get to that point and the, or you don't get to get to that point and the dog is freaking out in the mm-hmm. muzzle. Uh, it can be a little bit difficult to deal with it from then because then you're kind of cre- creating a very negative association with it. Mm-hmm. So in a perfect world, we take the time to free shape it and... If we had to do it last minute, it's just something that the dog, in, in my opinion, just has to kind of deal with and realize they can't get it off. So it needs to be tight enough, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if the dog is, because I know the danger, they can break nails, they can mm-hmm. do stuff like that if they're Could messing with it. So yeah. if the dog is <clears throat> is that stressed by it and 
really going at it and you think that they're in danger of injuring themselves, you can always do a correction. You know, it's mm -hmm. a leash correction or something to get them to stop. Or simply just try to, you know, keep them up mm -hmm. and kind of let them settle a little bit and yeah. kind of come back to their senses. Yeah. Uh, but some dogs, they just need to try it a couple times and then they're like, okay, it's not going anywhere. I've noticed a lot of times with it where it's just like, Eventually, again, yeah, as long as you can keep them safe, if you even need to kind of, like, grab their paws and just kind of mm -hmm. help them with that and stuff, it's such an exhausting thing. Yeah. And eventually, they're, like, mm -hmm. after, like you were saying, after yeah. a couple of tries, they're, like, Never okay. Mind. Yep. Yeah. They're, like, I, I guess this is it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> I guess yeah. this is what, what we're doing. You know? Exactly. So, well, yeah. That's good. Unavoidably, there's going to be stressful times, whether it's due to muzzles, training, yeah. whatever. Yeah. Um, but we would prefer to avoid as much stress as possible. Mm -hmm. So if people, exactly. So if people are able to take the time to do the conditioning prior to, mm -hmm. it would it would just be easier yeah. for the dog plan overall. Ahead. Yeah. <laughs> plan ahead. Plan ahead. Big thing to take away from today is plan ahead. Exactly. Yeah, do your research. If you don't get a good vibe about somebody that is in direct care of your pet, go to the next person, do more research, and keep trying. Don't yeah. feel stuck. Yeah. There's so many options out there. Mm -hmm. So many options. Even finding, you know, like where I got my dog Snoop from, uh, a breeder of Chihuahuas. I was not going to get a, a dog from a breeder who didn't approve of how I raised and yes. trained dogs either. Mm -hmm. yeah. We'll talk about breeders eventually mm -hmm. on how to get yes. a dog from a good breeder if you're looking. Or even how to rescue a dog appropriately and yeah, finding that's, one that's a that's good That's a good fit. topic. I think so too. So I, I have trial and error with that. Yes, you've got lots of experience with rescues. Yes. I've got a little more experience with breeders, so mm -hmm. yeah, we can chat about that too. I just find my pets. <laughs> he just finds them in ditches on the side of the road. <laughs> Alright, well, bye yeah. everyone. Bye. See you guys.